Hello, I'm Joe Honeyhockey, and I'd like to welcome you to the Heavenly Social, where I introduce you to our heavenly brothers and sisters. History is an excellent and far-reaching study. Now, I'm no historian, but I, like many others, am fascinated with what came before, in part because it can provide the answers as to why we're here under the circumstances that we are. As such, church history is a critical thing to study. Our history carries with it the truth of salvation, and since Jesus didn't leave us a manual himself, we have to rely on the understanding of his disciples and the apostles who were given the authority to interpret Christ's teaching. The church is what it is today because of the witness of the early church fathers. They're the reason we have the New Testament, not just the writings of the New Testament, but how it's organized, which books were included in the New Testament. Understanding Jesus' teaching is paramount, because if we get his teachings wrong, then we open up the door to a terrible darkness. If we don't take his teachings seriously, then we get kind of what we're seeing in today's world. People with lukewarm spirits and those who use the name of Jesus to control and abuse others. This isn't anything new, though. Heretics who would see to distort Christ and his message of salvation have existed from the beginning of Christianity. That's why we look to the saints. People the church has declared as holding true to the law and spirit of Jesus. People that amidst the darkness and scandal of this world, even within the church itself, are a shining light, giving us hope and reassuring us in the truth of God's ultimate love. So I ask you, do you seek to reform the perversions of Christ's teaching? Do you long to teach those around you about Christ's love, either by word or deed? If so then might I introduce you to our friend, St. Basil the Great. Roll intro. A few things to know about St. Basil before we dive into his story is that he's the patron saint of monks, reformers, hospital administrators, and Russia. Sadly, he is not the patron saint of the Spice Basil. <laughs> oh dear. He is revered in the Orthodox Church, as well as the Roman Catholic Church, and we celebrate his feast day on January 2nd. We also honor him as one of the 36 doctors of the Church, meaning that his writings and study of the faith significantly helped the evolution of theology, and in his case, really helped develop the divine liturgy. So, he was a pretty smart dude. If you'll remember, I've covered two other doctors thus far, Albert the Great and Anthony of Padua. So, he's in good company. Now with this, let's dive into St. Basil's story. He was born in Caesarea in the year 329, approximately, which is located near the center of modern-day Turkey. 
who was born into a wealthy family that were also very strong Christians. I mean, they, they had to be. If you'll recall, the Edict of Milan, which was signed in 313 by Emperor Constantine, made it legal to be a Christian. Now, just because something is legal doesn't mean that everybody's suddenly accepting of Christians, so there definitely would have been a lot of prejudice against them. But this also means that Basil's parents knew the time of Roman persecution for being Christian. In fact, his maternal grandfather was a martyr, executed for being a professed Christian. Basil was born into a family deep in the spirit of God, and was instructed in the ways of piety. He was one of nine children. Four others are also recognized saints. They are his sister, Macrina the Young, and his brothers, Nacratius, Peter of Sebast, and Gregory of Nyssa. Well, being part of a wealthy family, Basil was afforded the luxury of a great education. During his studies, he met a man named Gregory of Nazianzus, who was a major figure in his own right. As these two, along with Basil's brother, Gregory of Nyssa, became known as the Cappadocian Fathers, in reference to the region they came from, Cappadocia. These two became great friends, and over the course of a few years, went on to study together in Constantinople and in Athens. Now, this would have been between the years 349 and 356, we actually get a pretty good idea of how incredibly smart Basil was from the writings of Gregory. He tells us that Basil already had an advanced understanding of subjects such as rhetoric, philosophy, astronomy, geometry, and medicine by the time that they went to Athens. So if you're doing the math on this, Basil would have been advanced in these subjects at around the age, or between the ages of 20 and... 27. Now, a man of such an intellect as Basil would have been highly sought after as a professor, and indeed, he ended up returning to Caesarea to become a professor of rhetoric. And Gregory of Nazianus tells us that the only thing really left for Basil to obtain was spiritual perfection. Well, God went to work, and there were two key interactions that Basil had. The first was that he connected with the bishop of Caesarea, Bishop Dianius. Through him, Basil was baptized. Here, he also witnessed the piety of his sister Macrina, who had begun a religious community on the family's estate. The faith of his sister opened his eyes, and he tells us how he wept over how miserable his life had been without making God part of it. He began to study the ways of asceticism, which, for those unfamiliar with the term, can be described as a sort of extreme minimalism. It goes further than merely not owning anything. Asceticism is a discipline of denying oneself pleasures for the sake of growing spiritually. So imagine a constant state of fasting uh, from everything. Well, this is the lifestyle Basil dedicated himself to. The bishop, Dionysus, baptized Basil, and then after that, uh, he intensely studied monastic life, actually traveling to areas such as Egypt and learning from the monks out there. Well, 
After this, he too established a monastery on his family's estate at Anessi, there furthering his studies into the orthodox teachings of the church. Basil and Gregory of Nazianus studied intently the works of Origen, another church father, compiling his works into an anthology. Well, shortly thereafter, in the year 360, Basil attended to the Council of Constantinople. The major point of contention here was that Arians and Arian-like groups were preaching a heresy that Jesus was merely like the Father in substance, that Jesus was a creature lesser than God, the Father. He was still God, but begotten at a distinct point in time rather than having always been, as is held by Trinitarian teaching. The First Council of Nicaea attempted to address this heresy by introducing the Nicene Creed in 325, by declaring that Jesus was consubstantial with the Father, that the Father and Son were of the same identical substance, and therefore equally divine. The First Council of Constantinople expanded on this by adding lines regarding the Holy Spirit's relationship to this as well, rounding out our concise belief in the Trinitarian God. Basil attended the council as part of a delegation representing their region in Asia Minor, and despite initially siding with two bishops he looked up to, who subscribed to the Arian beliefs, Dianius and a fellow named Eustathius, Basil soon came to place his full support behind the Nicene Creed, and therefore orthodoxy, from then on becoming a huge opponent of Arianism. Now, this was a contentious time, as there were many Arian bishops in Asia Minor. Corruption was rampant, as the Arians sought to install bishops who agreed with their beliefs, and therefore just furthering their influence and power. Now, if there's one thing you should gather from this, it's that despite the corruption and heresy, even within the church, God works to ensure his truth shines bright. Nothing can overcome the Lord. You see, the Arians appointed a bishop named Meletius in Antioch, believing that he agreed with their heretical convictions. He was consecrated by a bishop of Samosata, which is in Syria, who was named Eusebius. It turns out that these two ended up siding with the Nicene Creed, therefore rejecting Arian teaching. Well, this caused an outrage, and the Arians sought to declare Meletius's election as bishop invalid. But the documents to support their claim was held by the bishop Eusebius, who refused to surrender the documents. As a little side story, the eastern emperor, Constantius, threatened to cut off the bishop's right hand unless he turned over the document, because the emperor himself agreed with the Arians. But Eusebius held out both his hands and reportedly said, Strike them both off. I will not surrender the document by which the injustice of the Arians can be proved. This act stunned the emperor, and he was let go the document remaining safely in his possession. Now, I mention these two figures, Saints Eusebius and Meletius, because it was through them that Saint Basil eventually became a priest, and then himself a bishop. 
Magnus, he became the Bishop of Caesarea, and he exercised an enormous amount of influence thanks to his passion and zeal for his faith. He combated the Arian heresy with his sharp rhetoric, while stirring the hearts of true Christians through his sermons and service of the poor. In fact, he lived in emulating Christ's love for the poor. He gave away his inheritance in order to help the poor and hungry. He established something called the Basiliad, which was a house to feed the poor and nurture the sick and to teach the unlearned. He was in love with the way of Christ. Though the world sought to see Basil fail, Arianism held on and even spread in spite of the tireless efforts of Basil and others, such as St. Athanasius. St. Basil wrote to Pope Damasus, hoping that a condemnation from the Bishop of Rome would bring order to the rampant heresy. But apparently the Pope responded with disinterest and general apathy toward it, which must have been emotionally defeating for Basil. Well, despite his waning health, though, he continued his uphill battle for truth. He died around the year 379, and would have been about 50 years old. He died before the battles between the orthodox and heretical factions ended, but his works have served to draw so many Christians into the depth of the mysteries of God through the liturgy. Even today, in the Byzantine Rite, they will use the Liturgy of St. Basil at different points during the liturgical year. During the liturgical year, such as during Lent and the Feast of the Epiphany, many of Basil's writings survive. So, I would highly recommend checking those out if you're interested in learning from a church father. Well, there you go. You have the story of St. Basil the Great. Now... What stood out to me when I looked into the life of St. Basil was his courage, or fortitude. Firstly, when witnessing the piety of his sister, it took immense courage for him to reflect on his own life, realize it was incomplete without it centering on God, and then take action to change that. And, I mean, it was a radical change. He was incredibly wealthy, coming from a wealthy family, while also earning plenty as a professor and orator himself. He gave this all up to live an ascetic lifestyle. Even when he was a bishop, he committed to a life of total simplicity so that he could better serve the poor, as well as keep his mind free of this world so that he could better argue for the place which we are all destined heaven. He was able to live courageously because he emptied himself out totally, which allowed him to be filled up by the graces of God. Now, his courage wasn't simply in standing up to a crowd of powerful people who outnumbered and opposed him. It was also in recognizing that he had gifts. His intelligence and understanding was certainly incredible, and they served him well in the secular world. But when he realized that God was of the utmost importance and dedicated himself to the life of asceticism, he easily could have gone the way of the monks, like Anthony the Great, 
and distance himself from society. But instead, he embraced his gifts of rhetoric and used them to serve God. In this way, we can all take inspiration. What are our gifts, and how can we use them to serve the Lord? This wonderfully highlights just why you are important. Because there is nobody quite like you. You have your own unique combination of talents given to you by God. They may be similar to the gifts of somebody else. But only yours are uniquely yours. All that's left is to give them back to him. To have the courage to identify them, nurture them, and give them back. If there is something St. Basil can teach us, I mean, there's a lot of things that he can teach us, but if there is one thing in particular, it isn't that you need to be the smartest. It's that God makes us great when we cooperate with his will. After all the attempts to squash Basil, in the end, how many Arians do you really know by name? The Catholic Church survived and remains, and will always remain, because we are merely her caretakers. So I'd encourage you to make use of your talents as best you can. It's all we can do to care for Christ's church. With that, I bid you a fond farewell. Remember, find your courage in the faith, and one day someone might just tell your story. See you next time. Rule Outro And he himself tells us how he wept over his mis- how miserable. Basil- <clears throat> Oh, I wonder who I'll cover next. Now, this isn't that I'm horrible at planning things, it's just that I enjoy surprising myself. (laughs) Uh, See ya!